0: Thanks for joining our YouTube channel. If you haven't done so already, please click that subscribe button to join our community. That way you get notified each and every week a message pops up. With that being said, we pray that this message encourages and inspires you to take one step closer to Jesus. Good morning, Arise. Welcome back. Isn't it good to be back in God's house? Man, my name is Ken, and I get the privilege of being the executive pastor here, and we are just so glad to be back in God's house. Two weeks where we've been online worshiping together, but I'm going to tell you there is nothing like experiencing the presence of God in the house of God. Am I right? Come on. Well, I just want to celebrate before we begin, which is our usual custom, and one of the things that I want to celebrate, is going to sound a little bit weird, but man, we've been going through it for the last couple of weeks as a church, haven't we? little bit. So if you're not familiar, I want to kind of give you an update. Uh, a little over two weeks ago, uh, Pastor Brent had a heart attack and ended up in the hospital. Uh, he is doing great now. He is actually on vacation in Virginia. In fact, he's probably watching this service because you know he loves you too much to stay away. So everybody say hi to Pastor Brent. Yeah, all right. Uh, But he is doing great. He is recovering really well. He will be back next Sunday and preaching right here in Brandon next Sunday. Yeah, and I'm sure that he's going to say this. He said it last week via video. If you caught the live stream last week, he'll say it again next Sunday. But I want to say this for him on behalf of he and Pastor Ada Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for all of your prayers, for you reaching out and just loving uh, on, on them, on our staff, on, on your efforts. Thank you, thank you. There's just not a whole lot more we can say about that. And, and then uh, we had a little bit of a mini COVID outbreak here uh, amongst us. In fact, there were several in our staff who uh, tested positive for COVID, uh, including myself. Don't worry, I'm clean. I've I've done. I've served my time. My quarantine's over. I'm clean. Uh, I'm good. Don't don't anybody go running out or throw your mask on right now. It's it's okay. I'm good. Uh, and then uh, several of our of our folks in our uh, in our church body actually tested positive too, which is one of the reasons why we said, hey, listen, we've gotta we've gotta close for two weeks. This is the best thing to do for all of our health. But thank you for praying for us. Um, thank you for fighting for us. Listen, that's, that's the fight that we're in right now. And, you know, sometimes when, when leadership of an organization comes under uh, all those different, because we've had the heart attack, COVID, and then we actually had some other health issues that were going on in the staff that prevented some of our staff from even being in the office during the week, uh, you know, it really kind of feels like a spiritual attack. It really kind of feels like the enemy's on the war path and he doesn't like what we're doing. And so we just go to war and thank you for going to war. Thank you for fighting for us. And we fight for each other. Um, you know, we were fighting for those of you who were sick as well. We were praying, you know, I mean, what else are you going to do in quarantine, right? You're going to pray and spend a lot of time with the Holy Spirit and spend a lot of time with those who are in quarantine with you and locked up with you. Uh, but, but we've been fighting together And and we want to give you another avenue to fight because we're going to continue to fight together. We're in this journey about spiritual disciplines this year. And in January, we started the spiritual discipline of reading our Bible. And we're going to be reading our Bible through this year. Uh, How many of you are still working on that? You're doing well with that? You're running with that? Can I I confess something to you guys as a pastor? Y'all won't think less of me, right? I missed yesterday. I missed it yesterday. Um, We had a funeral that we ended up going to, and I just got so distracted. Here's the reality of it. I I was putting the finishing touches on my sermon last night and and just missed it. And I woke up this morning, and I'm like, oh, my goodness. So you know what I did this morning? I didn't quit. I started reading again because you know what? This will not whip me. Missing one time will not whip me. I, I will invest myself in God's word. I will allow God's word to change me. I will not give up just because I miss a day or two days or three days. I will not give up. And so I want to encourage you, if you have, if you have struggled with this and maybe you've not, you've missed a day or two, stay in the fight. Let's keep going together. I'm not perfect either. I've messed up too. We're in this together. We're not in this to be perfect. We're in this to be changed and look more like him. And so let's just do it together, all right? But, but we're going to start another one here in February. In fact, you're going to learn more about it this Wednesday night, our first Wednesday. We've got baptisms coming, and, and we're going to talk about our new discipline for the month of February. And then February 4th through February 24th, we are going to do a church-wide fast. Now, some of y'all are like, uh-oh. But listen, nothing will change you like fasting. And we're going to see God do some incredible things in us as we fast together in the church. And if you want to learn how to fast or what fasting looks like, be here this Wednesday night because we're going to talk about it and we're going to to learn how to fast. And let me just give you kind of a hint. As you're planning for your fast, biblical fasting always involves food. I know that it's easy to fast TV. Biblical fasting always involves food. It's okay if you want to give up TV for the month too. But biblical fasting always involves food. But we'll talk about that on Wednesday night. But I want to encourage you to plan because we're going to fight. You know, the reality is, for me, I am I I, that's about the only fighting I do is spiritual fighting, you know? I am really not much of a physical fighter. I am really kind of a big teddy bear. In fact, when I taught sixth grade, my my sixth graders used to look at me, and and they'd come in all scared because I'm really loud, and I look like I'm aggressive, and I talk very confident, which some people perceive as aggressive. And and so they they perceive me as this big, hairy, scary guy. But really, inside, I'm a really big teddy bear. In fact, I've only really been in one physical fight in my entire life. Y'all believe me, right? In fact, let me, let me tell you about that one physical fight that I was in in my entire life. When I was in sixth grade, so I have a brother. I have three of them, actually, but I have a brother, and, and I love my brother. He's two and a half years younger than me. In fact, my brother was my best man at my wedding, and he's getting married, and he actually asked me, uh, in a couple of months he's getting married, he actually asked me to be his best man. So, I mean, like, we're We're close. But you know what it means when you're that close, right? Sometimes you love them. Sometimes they bug the snot out of you. My brother knows how to get on every last nerve that I have. He is the one person that knows where every nerve is and he can just jump on it just just right. I think he is one of the only people I've ever called a jerk to their face in in my life. Now, I mean, you know, I'll I'll just be real. We're we're always, all of us probably have have called people jerks behind their backs, right? No, just me? Okay. But he's like the only one that I called to his face. But, you know, he's my brother. So I can call him a jerk, but don't anybody else pick on him. Because he's my brother. And so we were out on the playground at recess. Some of y'all remember that. Um, You know, if you are under the age of 30, uh, recess was a thing that you kind of did in the middle of school to break it up, and you went outside and you played. You know, recess. Uh, but, But we were out on recess, and... And there was a fight going on over in the other side of the playground. My brother was in fourth grade. And I look over. I'm like, "Who who are those kids fighting? There was two kids beating up on one kid. And somebody looks back at me and says, that's your brother over there. I said, what? And next thing I know, I was right in the middle of it. Because I can fight with my brother, but don't anybody else touch him. Because he's my brother. And I took care of those little fourth graders, you know. listen, don't mess with me, don't mess with my brother, I'll take care of the fourth graders. <laughs> because, you know, my mom, my mom always said that other people will turn their back on you, but family is all you have. Yes. And when the going gets tough, family is all you have. And, you know, we're, we're in this topic called, uh, this series called Hot Topics, and we wanna talk about one of those topics, and that is the nuclear family. And yes, um, I've been corrected on how to say nuclear. It's not nuclear. There's no second you. Thank you, Olivia. It's not nuclear. It's nuclear. So as I say it wrong half the time in the message, just know that I'm trying to say nuclear. All right. Uh, but, but we're talking about the nuclear family because here's the thing. In our life and in our society, we have begun building our lives almost kind of like a Jenga tower. You know, you ever played the game Jenga? You know, we, we've built our life up. And, and we've built all these things, you know, like jobs and careers and, you know, we've got our family in there and we've got, you know, we, we've just got all these things going on in our life. But, you know, as a society, we've, we've done something. We've actually taken out this understanding of a relationship with God and we've decided we don't need that. And then we've, we've taken out this godly morality that happens as individuals and, and, and so we find ourselves with this this really fragile Jenga tower that's only standing on our deistic, in other words, an understanding that God gives law and God gave law, our deistic law that our Constitution is based on. Okay? This idea that God's law is a healthy thing for us. And and so we, we stand on this fragile, deistic understanding, and then all of a sudden, in our society, we've decided that we know better And we start pulling out things like family, and what happens? Everything topples and falls. And so we're going to talk about the nuclear family today. What is the nuclear family? Well, it's a family unit that includes two married people, two married parents of the opposite gender, and their biological or adopted children living in the same residence. So this term, nuclear family, is actually a rather new term. It actually came about in popularity, especially in the 1950s. In the 1950s, the term actually began to come to prominence and people began to talk about it. But the concept as it is and as it exists actually began in about the 1300s. So historians tell us. And they say that in about the 1300s, the nuclear family began to really take shape, especially in England, and historians now attribute the Industrial Revolution to the beginning of the nuclear nuclear family, okay? And so I had to ask this question, and how we talk about the nuclear family really began in the 1300s, is it biblical? Is it God's idea? Is it something that God is in favor of? Because, see, our society, in our society, it seems as though the nuclear family, this foundational idea, is really kind of disappearing. It's under attack. I mean, you look at some of the statistics, and the divorce rate in the United States is 50% plus. 50% which is the sixth highest in the world. Now, that's not including second marriages. See, the divorce rate for second marriages is 60%. And the divorce rate for third marriages is 73%. Three out of every four third marriages end in divorce. But the nuclear family doesn't just impact a marriage. It impacts children, too. Did you know that 40% of children in the U.S. are born out of wedlock? 40%. And see, this is something where you might say, well, you know, Pastor Ken, that's not a horrible thing. And yet even Columbia and Princeton universities and researchers there have said, hey, listen, this is a harmful thing. In fact, they said the shift toward illegitimacy is having a detrimental effect on children. Children born to unmarried parents do not fare as well as children born to married parents. The research found that children born to unmarried parents are disadvantaged related to the children born to married parents in terms of parental capabilities and family stability. But not, not just children born... What about this statistic, that 23% of children in the United States live in a single-parent home? That's one out of every four child that lives in a single-parent home in the U.S. You think that statistic may not seem that bad? Let me tell you that that is the number one... Worst statistic in the world as far as children living in single-parent home. we are number one in the world in that. The average worldwide average is seven percent of the children live in the single-parent home in the world. The U.S. were 23, 23. There's an attempt to redefine the nuclear, nuclear family as two loving adults of any gender, in any commitment level. We have popular organizations now who openly state a desire to tear down the nuclear family. They're openly stating, this is our goal, this is our intent. And let me tell you that that is one of the ten pillars of Marxism. And let me tell you some of the other ten, of the ten pillars of Marxism. One of them is to educate children and take that responsibility out of the parents' hands and put it in the state's control so the state can indoctrinate children according to the way they want children to believe. Let me tell you, mom and dad, the school system is not the primary educator of your child. You are. You sub out what you can't do. Listen, I can't do calculus. I have somebody sub that out for my son. I can't do it. But that doesn't mean I'm not involved, I'm the primary educator. The minute I take my hand out, the minute I stop listening is the minute I stop being involved. I stop being the primary educator. Another one of the pillars of Marxism is to remove all traces of religious influence in our society. This is, this is why I talk about it, because their desire is to remove the church, is to remove Christianity from society. Listen, if they're, if they're looking to remove this desire to serve God from our society, they are anti-God, they are anti-Christian. In other words, then probably the other things that they stand for may not be a great thing. If they're anti-family... Or how about this idea that the Smithsonian... A governmental museum actually put out a statement that said that the nuclear family is a white culture thing. That the family is white. Can I just say, that's racist. The idea of family is not white, it's people. Stop. Just stop. In fact, I've talked with some folks who are extremely offended by that. African-American, Hispanic folks who are offended that you would even call this idea of family white. So what's caused this shift away from holding the traditional nuclear family as an important value? Well, some might might say that it's just a shift in social norms, The divorce is definitely more socially acceptable now, so we just have shifted social norms. And and so is having children before marriage, you know. the, The term baby mama actually means something different now than it used to. It actually means that, hey, listen, I've got several baby mamas because I have babies by all those mamas. And we celebrate premarital pregnancy by putting folks who are girls who are 16 on TV and glamorizing them as they're having a child. But what caused it? We've been talking about a post-Christian society for a little while. In fact, Pastor Brent introduced this idea of post-Christian society. And really what it is, is it's a society that believes it's evolved past the ideas of Christianity. And in a post-Christian society, uh, values are challenged simply because they seem to come from a Christian root. Simply because they seem to be associated with Christianity. They'll be challenged automatically. So society has begun to say things like this. Eh, marriage is just a temporary business contract. When it becomes inconvenient for me, I'll just end it. All that's required for marriage for me is to feel love that allows me to marry anyone or anything. And let me tell you, if you think that marriage being changed to just allow for homosexual marriage is where the end of it is, you are sorely mistaken. There are people in our country today who believe that they deserve to have the exact same rights as everyone else who believe that they are married to and can marry animals and inanimate objects. It's happening right now in our nation. It's this change of values. It's this change of what we look at. They say marriage is just a piece of paper. I can can do just as good as the opposite gender. I can fulfill their role. I don't need a man. I don't need a woman. I can do that. Or how about this one? Children are a desired inconvenience. If, in fact, I don't desire it, I'll just get rid of it. Or how about this? Family is whatever I want it to be or whatever I have. I define what family is. Have you noticed a consistent theme in all these statements that we've begun hearing in our society? They all revolve around this idea of I. They all revolve around I. Why? Because it's more comfortable of what is instead of changing what is based on my values. It's more comfortable for me to say, oh, this is what I see in the mirror. It's easier for me to change what I believe than it is for me to change what I see. And so I'll just change what I believe. It's easier for me just to value that. As opposed to setting our values on something that's unchangeable. See, this issue is not so much uh, an issue between the nuclear and the extended family. But this issue is the idea and the concept of family at all. That's really under attack right now. That's really desired to remove any influence of family, any influence of authority in our lives. That's the desire. And let me tell you, it's not a physical attack, it's a spiritual attack. It's a spiritual attack. And we've got to recognize it as such and fight as such. So the question is, is the nuclear family a value we should hold on to? And I've asked this question of myself this week. If it was created in the 1300s or began there, is it something we should hold on to? Is it something we should fight for? What's right And I don't just ask that question, what does God say as a pastor, but as a believer in Jesus. If I believe in Jesus, I need to know what God says about the the family, because I want to look like him. See, here's the thing. Social definitions will conform us to look like popular society, but God wants us to be transformed to look like him. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Do not be conformed by the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is what God wants from us. But yet, I'm going to start in a place that we can all see, that we can all look at, that we can all agree upon. I'll start at science. Because, see, I want you to understand that science actually affirms the nuclear family. Science affirms that. Let's think about this. Biologically, and most of us are adults, or at least close enough there, and I'm not going to get graphic or nothing, but most of us are adults. We can understand it takes a man and a woman to have a baby. Something from a man, something from a woman to make a baby. Biologically, it affirms the nuclear, nuclear family. But it's not just biology that affirms that. Sociology also affirms the nuclear family. See, sociologically, a nuclear nuclear family produces the best results. I I studied this week to truly try to figure this out and nail this down. And let me tell you, there are a ton of resources out there, non-Christian resources that all say the same thing. The nuclear family is the healthiest environment for kids to be raised. It's the healthiest environment for married couples to live in, or for people, adults to live in. In fact, the Journal of Happiness studies actually states that in general married people are happier especially in middle and later ages when people are most likely to be the least happy in their lives, that married people are much happier in those times. This study also talks about how married couples who consider each other their best friends find the most happiness. I love you baby. It's true. What about uh, ifstudies.org? Says this married people actually live longer. Married people have fewer health conditions. And, and psychology today did a study that found that married people are 14% more likely to recover from a heart attack and to leave the hospital in an average of two days earlier than single people. Just happiness, it's health benefits from this, from being married. What about the kids though? Well, according to a Family Structure and Children's Health in the United States study that was done by the U.S. government in 2011, children in nuclear nuclear families are less likely to have poor health, have learning disabilities, less likely to have learning disabilities, less likely to lack insurance coverage, less likely to have two or more emergency room visits in the past 12 months, and less likely to have definite or severe emotional or behavioral difficulties during the last six months. Even our government in the form of President Barack Obama has acknowledged this in a speech that he made in the Apostolic Church of God in Chicago on Father's Day, right before he took office in his first term, said this, of all the rocks upon which we build our lives, we are reminded today that family is most important. Now, uh, you and I would disagree with him on that because we believe Jesus is most important. However, the idea that the government has acknowledged that family is that important is a big deal. He didn't say government is most important. He said family is. We know the statistics that children who grow up without a father, now listen to these, this is crazy, are five times more likely to live in poverty and commit crime, nine times more likely to drop out of schools, and 20 times more likely to end up in prison. They're more likely to have uh, behavior problems or run away from home or become teenage parents themselves, and the foundation of our community are weaker because of it many women are doing a heroic job but they need support they need another parent their children needs another parent their children need another parent that's what keeps their foundation strong it's what keeps the foundation of our country strong and let me be very clear if you're a single mom or a single dad in the house and you are parenting your kids congratulations we love you we are so honored by what you're doing you're doing an incredible job good job but let's be real Was it supposed to work that way? Was it supposed to be that way? What does God say about it? What does he say about the nuclear family? Because here's the thing, the word nuclear is never actually mentioned in the Bible. And ironically enough, neither is the word family. It's never mentioned in the Bible. And as I discover this, I begin to wrestle with, does God even want the nuclear family? Is God designed, did He design the nuclear family? Uh, Until I began to look at Scripture, and Scripture really makes it very clear that God created and affirmed the nuclear family. He created it and affirmed it. In fact, we see the story in Genesis chapter 2 and Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 and 28 says, So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. Now, let me be very clear. Being fruitful is not talking about being fruity or crazy. It's also not talking about eating apples. It's talking about having babies, y'all. Be fruitful and Multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. See, God very clearly in Scripture, He created and affirmed heterosexual marriage. Very clearly. And affirmed it throughout Scripture. God designed it. He created it. God designed our bodies to produce children as the fruit of that marriage. Ah, oh, Pastor Ken, that's just Old Testament stuff. Jesus came and he changed all. No, he did not. He came and fulfilled a lot of it, and he affirmed much of it as well, including marriage in Matthew chapter 19. See, Jesus affirmed the idea of marriage, and he even went a step further, and, and like Jesus does, he just called us to do some crazy stuff. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 19. When Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and went down to the region of Judea, east of the Jordan River. Large crowds followed him there, and he healed the sick. Some Pharisees came and tried to trap him with this question Should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for just any reason? Haven't you read the scripture? Jesus replied. They recorded that from the beginning God made them male and female. And he said this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. Now stop right there. That's quoting, Jesus is quoting a passage in Genesis chapter 2. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and joins his wife and the two become one flesh. This is an absolute indication that even though the extended family was the most popular form of family even in the Old Testament, that God designed a family, the closest family unit to be made, was the nuclear family father mother children the closest family unit to be made he did that by saying hey listen when you go to get married leave mom and dad join together with them now that's not to take away the benefit and the association of the extended family listen my mom lives with me i love having my mom live with me I believe it's an honoring thing to take care of and be a blessing to your, to, to your parents. That's what God called us to do. That's a good thing. And yet God also created absolute space to say, hey, listen, leave home and create a family with your spouse. This is what Jesus said. Now, verse 6, since the two are no longer two, but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. Then why did Moses say the law, in the law that a man could give his wife a written notice of divorce and send her away, they asked. Jesus replied, Moses permitted divorce only as concession to your hard hearts. But it was not what God had originally intended. And I tell you this, whoever divorces his wife and marries someone else commits adultery, unless his wife has been unfaithful. Jesus' disciples then said to him, if this is the case, it's better not to marry her. Get what Jesus' disciples said. Hey, listen, Jesus. What you're calling us to do is hard. If I can't just pick up and leave my wife when I feel like it because she's just being a drag, and it's hard, maybe I should just not get married. What does Jesus say? Well, not everyone can accept this statement. Only those whom God helps, some are born as eunuchs, some who have been made eunuchs by others, and some choose not to marry for the sake of the kingdom of God. Let anyone accept this who can. In other words, Jesus says, hey, listen, if God calls you to be a eunuch or to live a life of celibacy, live a life of celibacy. Otherwise, fight for your marriage. That's what Jesus said. He said, you know what? If you're not willing to fight for your marriage, live celibate. What does celibate mean? Let's break that down. That means don't have sexual relations with anybody. That's what celibacy is. Jesus said, fight for your marriage or don't have sexual relations with anyone and don't get married. Those are the two choices. Fight for your marriage or don't do it at all. See, here's the thing. God hates divorce. Jesus said this. Now let me be very clear because the church has misconstrued the language here. Jesus never said God hates the divorcee. Now, I need to apologize to those of you who are in the room who've been divorced and you've been in a bad church experience where you've been ostracized, looked down upon, hurt, wounded, spoken negatively about, received dirty looks from the church or from pastors because you have been divorced. I'm sorry. That was not the way that God intended it. That should not have happened to you. How do we know that? Well, because of Jesus' interaction with a with 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 woman. Jesus met a woman on the road to Galilee. He sits down at a well, and he asks her to draw water for him. And she's like, oh, sir, if you knew who I was, you wouldn't ask me to draw water. He's like, no, no, no. If you knew who I was, then you would know that you don't need water from this well, because I'm the living water. See, Jesus revealed who he was to this woman. He says, I am the living water. Those who drink from me will thirst no more. He reveals his divine nature to her. And then it comes out later when Jesus says, go get your family, go get your husband. She says, oh, I have no husband. And Jesus says, because he reads her mail, he says, you're right. Because you said you have no husband, you have had actually five. And the one you're living with right now is not your husband. Notice what Jesus did not do. Jesus did not reject her. Jesus did not look at her and say, Oh, you're less than, you're a dog, you need to leave, you can't come to church. Jesus did not look at her and say, mm, I have pity on you, you just. Eh. Jesus didn't do any of that stuff. He said, Go and tell. He allowed her, this woman, to receive the place of honor to go and tell that whole town who had probably rejected her and looked at her as a prostitute because she'd been married five times, y'all. Five times. He used her in a place of honor to tell them all about him. How does Jesus look at the divorcee? He loves them. How does God look at those who've been in through divorce? He loves them. Why? Because Jesus hates divorce. God hates divorce because of what it's done to you. See, God doesn't hate you. He hates the thing that breaks you. He hates the thing that hurts you. He hates the thing that wounds you. Why? Because God designed marriage and he knew that breaking that design would hurt you, hurt your kids, hurt everyone around you. It would hurt. He hates the thing that breaks apart his design for us. So Jesus says, you know what? If you can't fight for your marriage, if you can't fight to avoid the hurt, if you refuse to fight, just stay celibate. Just stay celibate. Paul also gives instructions on the nuclear family in Ephesians chapter 5. It says, as the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. Now notice he quotes Jesus who quotes the Old Testament. Quotes both, okay? So it's restated, stated in Genesis, restated in Matthew, restated in Paul's teachings. This is not something that God is being inconsistent on. This is something that God's being very consistent on, saying, hey, listen, marriage is the real deal. I set it up, God says. It's the real deal. Honor it. This is a great mystery, but it's an illustration of the way that Christ and the church are one. See, Paul goes a step further, and he says, hey, listen, marriage is a picture of Jesus' love for the church. So let's ask the question, are we giving the world a good picture? So again, I say each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. And then Ephesians chapter 6 goes on because, kids, you thought you were out of it, but you're not because this is, this is the best part. It says, children, obey your parents. Yes. Because you belong to the Lord, for this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. Yes. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you and you will have a long life on the earth. Why? Because your parents won't kill you. No, seriously, I haven't threatened any of my kids to kill them, I promise. Paul affirms this idea of family, this idea of marriage, this idea of having children because it's God's design. So what is God's design? God's design is for us to enter into a committed and loving relationship with someone from the opposite gender who becomes our other half and completes us. And yes, I know the romantic in that phrase, and I know that some of you guys are like, but listen, Jerry Maguire said it, and so it must be true. No, I'm just kidding. This is how God designed it. God designed a man and a woman to complete each other in a union for the two to become one flesh. If we have become one flesh, then she completes the one flesh that we are. She completes me. This is why that phrase hits home for so many women because it's spiritual truth that hits in a place that God built for them to, to be filled out of this loving lifelong best friendship comes children who are raised by the couple. This is God's design. So that begs the question. How does God respond when it doesn't work out? How does he respond when it doesn't work out? Man, that's, that's the tough question because there are so many reasons that it hasn't worked out. And I know that there are some of you sitting in this room right now where the tension is built because you're like, man, it just didn't work out for me, Pastor Ken. Are, are you preaching condemnation and hate to me? No, I'm not. Because here's what God's response is. God's response is just what he did for the Samaritan woman. God's response is, I love you. I hate what's happened to you because I hate that it hurts you. But I love you. I love you. This is God's response. See, when it doesn't work out, God loves you right where you are. He loves you right where you are. When it doesn't work out in your marriage, He loves you right where you are. When it doesn't work out with raising your kids, He loves you right where you are. He loves you where you are. And He wants to create health for you. He wants to work out things to where they're good for you. But He's waiting for us to get into agreement with Him. See, here's the really interesting thing. Did you know that God used and uses non-nuclear families? I keep saying it. I'm sorry. Non-nuclear families in Scripture. Man, y'all, there's some jacked up people in Scripture. You got Judah and Tamar. I don't have time to tell the whole story. Go back and read it. But like, Tamar is Judah's daughter-in-law. They have children. Was God happy with that? but God used them in the lineage of Jesus. What about Ruth and Boaz? Ruth, who was a widower whose husband had died, and she is a non-Jew, and she follows her mother-in-law, Naomi, back to Israel. And she goes to Israel and meets this man of her dreams, Boaz, and gets married, also in the lineage of Jesus. Jesus. What what else? What about Samuel, who didn't live with his mom and dad, but lived with the priest instead? And God used him in many ways. What about Uncle Mordecai and Esther? See, Uncle Mordecai adopted Esther after Esther's parents had died. And God blessed that relationship. God blessed Mordecai. He blessed Esther for the the wisdom that Mordecai was able to give her and to help her be queen of the land of Babylon. God blessed it. What about Hosea and Gomer? Hosea, who God told to marry a prostitute. Very weird family arrangement. And yet God used it. Or, what about this one that really jacked up all of my theology this week? Did you know that Jesus was not born or not raised in a nuclear family? His daddy wasn't Joseph, his daddy was the Holy Spirit. I'll let you think about that one. So, here's the real question for us How does God want us to respond? So as the church, how do we respond? If, if society is attacking or seems to be pulling the rug out from under marriages and family, if, if everything seems to be not working and they're praising that, how do we as believers, how do we as people who call ourselves Christians respond to that? Well, let me tell you, it starts with me. It doesn't start with legislation. It starts with me. See, this world needs examples of what God's design for a marriage looks like. They need to see you and I represent Jesus. So, what's the first thing that we do? Well, we fight for a great marriage. Let me tell you fight for a great marriage. Fight for a great marriage. Fight for a great marriage. And, and here's the thing to all the singles in the room, all the single ladies, you know, uh, it doesn't start when you're married, it starts when you're single. Not just the single ladies, but the single guys. It starts when you're single. It starts by putting God first. Put God first. Don't ever put a woman, don't ever put a man first. Put God first. And strive to look like Jesus. See, here's the thing. Don't spend more time looking for the right person than you do trying to be the right person. We got too many people who are spending more time on Tinder than they are in the Word of God. We're out there looking for the right people, but we're not trying to be the right person. To be the right person, you need to be associated with the right one, and that's Jesus. Get in His Word. Get in in relationship with Him. You become the right person. And then all of a sudden, you become really attractive to people who don't even know that they're looking for a godly man and a godly woman, but they're looking for that. This world, by its very nature, looks for... My son and I had an incredible conversation yesterday about how this world looks for the right things and tries to emulate the right things, not even understanding that they're trying to emulate Jesus. Let God heal your past. Listen, we all come in with a past. I got a past. My past is broken. You got a past. We all got a past. Let God heal it, but do that while you're single. Let God step in and begin to speak to your past, speak to your brokenness. Don't wait until after you're married. Do it now. Do it now. Let God then bring the right person into your life and then have boundaries to stay pure. Have boundaries. Have boundaries. Listen, I told you my brother's getting married and I was, I'm so proud of him. So proud of him. He's 42 years old, okay? Okay getting married for the first time. And, and we were having conversation, and he's talking about my mom coming up a couple of weeks before the wedding. And he, he made this statement. He said, you know, my accountability partner, my spiritual accountability partner, and I have this agreement that, that I will never have Lisa, his fiance, into his apartment, and I will never go into Lisa's apartment before we're married so that we have this boundary. So mom, if you come up and you're at the apartment because she's moving in with me, she'll be able to come and look at the apartment to see how to move things in. They've even waited on figuring out how to move in together after they get married. Why? Because they're setting up boundaries. They're setting up boundaries. They said, "Hey, listen, this is the way I want my marriage to look like this. I want to set things up in a way that God honors, so I'm going to set up boundaries, and I'm going to live the hard thing. I'm going to do the hard thing. Set up boundaries. And then, when you get in a relationship, when you get married, especially, fight for your relationship. Fight for your spouse. Fight for your life with your spouse. How do you do that? Husbands, wives, how do you fight for your marriage? Well, let me tell you fight to expose your secrets to them. That means you got to fight yourself and your own pride. It got really quiet in here in that one. (laughs) Nobody likes to hear that. I got to tell them my secrets? Yes. Fight to expose your secrets. What else? Fight to listen. Fight to listen. Well, what do I have to fight to listen? you got to fight your own temptation to do this number and put that down so that you can listen. 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 And then here's here's my greatest tip to you. Listen, uh, this is 25 years for us that we're celebrating in May. Okay? And let me tell you, we, we have had to fight. Life's not been, always been a bed of roses. She's had to deal with me. We've had to fight, okay? We've had to fight to keep our marriage, to put this thing first, to put our marriage as an important place in our life. And Pastor Kieran approached me about a year ago and he asked me, he said, he said, okay, you, you've been married for a long time. And I said, seriously? He goes, no, for a while. What would you tell a newly married person? And I gave him a couple of pointers, but I gave him one of, one of them that I think is the most important thing fight to dream together about your future. Let me restate that and re-say that. Husband, wife, fight to dream together about your future. Why? Because the couple who dreams together about a future builds the future together because they see each other together in that future. If you can envision... You've heard the passage, without a vision, the people perish, perish? Without a vision, a marriage perishes. Without a dream. If you dream together of your future, you'll build it together and you'll be together when you build it. Dream together. Dream together. What about with your kids? Fight for your kids. Fight for your relationship. Fight to give them time. Let me tell you, mom and dad, most of what your children want is your time and your value. That's the thing that they want the most. Spend time with your children. Spend time listening to them. Spend time engaging with them. Spend time playing games and doing things with them. Spend time with your children. Spend time and fight to give them your attention. And that means put your phone down. That means listen to things that you don't understand. And let me tell you, when my son comes downstairs talking about calculus, I do not understand a word of it. But I listen. I don't always do a great job of listening because I'm sorry, sometimes it's way over my head and it's hard to stay to be engaged, but I listen. I listen, listen to them. But we don't just fight for our kids, we don't just fight for our spouses. We humbly never let a fight drive us apart. Don't ever let a fight drive you apart. See, some of us are spending more time fighting our family for our sake than we are fighting us for our family's sake. Let me say that again because I need you to get that. Some of us are more concerned. We're spending more time fighting our family for my sake than I am fighting me for my family's sake. Put yourself last. Is it hard? Yes. Do you have to fight yourself? Absolutely. Paul says it like this. Deny yourself, pick up your cross, and die. We've got to die to ourselves. And men, love and chase your wife like Christ has chased you. Men, love and chase your wife like Christ has chased you. Men, love and chase your wife like Christ has chased you. Listen, some of y'all have been, um, let's just put it like this, Christ has had to chase you. Come on, men. Christ has had to chase us, hadn't he? Because we run sometimes. When I start with marriage counseling, the very first thing that I talk about to men is to love your wife as Christ loved the church. Because men, it starts with us. It starts right here. Stop expecting your wife to start Stop expecting her to start with a romance. Stop expecting her to start with anything. Men, it's our job to start. Jesus loved us when we were dirty, low-down, rotten sinners and hated him. Why can we not love our wife first? Men, it starts with us. Love our wives. Love our wives. And then value one another. Value one another. It's not just about fighting for our families, but it's about valuing each other. You know, this world doesn't value one another enough. And valuing others creates space for them in our life. It creates space for them. Devaluing others, devaluing their roles will ultimately remove that role from your life. You devalue a man's role in your life enough, guess what? That role will be removed from your life. Value them. How do we value them? Value them with our words. Value them with affirmation. Value them with what we say, how we treat them. Well, what do we value them for? Well, value men and fathers for their strength, for their stability, for their honor, for their leadership, for their wisdom, for their ability to speak life over your household and to call greatness out of others. Honor your men and your life for that. Honor the women in your life. Treasure those mothers and the women in your life for their compassion, for how much they care and how much they give. And let's be real. The women in our life, they give everything. Men, that was your chance. You just missed it. Let me, let me give it to you again. Let's be real. The mothers and the women in our life, they give everything. Okay. Treasure them for their insight. For their ability to treat us as treasures, even when we feel like junk, treasure them for that. and Cherish your children. (coughs) Cherish them for their gifts and their abilities, for their future, for their desire to be an adult. Yes, for their desire to be an adult. Yes, for their desire to be an adult. Let me tell you, some of the biggest fights that you will have with your kids, some of the biggest struggles that you will have with your kids, is their desire to be an adult And them trying to be an adult and figure that out in your household. Cherish that. They're just trying to be like you. Cherish that. Cherish their innocent ability to say something and expose everything in the room. Cherish it. And then we don't stop at fighting or valuing. We do those things, but we also invest in other marriages. Invest in other marriages. Speak life over them. Stop telling them it's okay to divorce. Stop telling them it's okay to leave. Encourage them to fight. Encourage them to stay in the fight. Yes, there are valid reasons to leave, and we can't go into all of those right now. No, I'm not telling you to stay if you're being abused. Yes, if you're being abused, if they're uh, committing unfaithfulness on a regular basis, leave. We'll stay in that. God isn't intending you to be in that. But see, here's the thing. Sometimes we're fighting for our marriage and sometimes we're fighting our marriage. Yeah. Only you and God know what's really going on. But from the outside, my responsibility Is not to come in and judge whether you are fighting your marriage or fighting for your marriage. My responsibility is to encourage your marriage. Let's encourage marriages. And then use your voice to speak for the family. Tell your story. Tell how your family's changed your life. Talk about how your husband, how your wife has changed your life. Talk about how your kids have changed your life. Don't just do it verbally, do it with your life too. One of the greatest honors that I've had happened to me this last week. My youngest brother, who's 32 years old, was invited to be on a podcast about family and children. And I listened to it. Man, I I was just so proud. He did such an amazing job of, of helping the podcast uh, speaker just navigate the idea of spending time with your children. He just did an incredible job with that and drawing attention back to, to honoring your kids and spending time with them and, and loving them. But at the very beginning of that podcast, it shook me because he was asked this question. He said, he was asked, Tim, why, is, why are you so passionate about family? Why are you so passionate about kids? And Tim said, you know, when I was 10 years old, My brother had his oldest child and I saw how my brother interacted with her and I've watched her grow up and it made me want to have a family. Do things to make others want to have a family. Love your children, love your spouse to make others long to have a family like you love them and put it on display. Don't make a show of it, but just just do it. Just be there. People will see it. People will see it. Because they're looking for something that's right. As a people, we're looking for something that fits this God-sized hole that he created us for. They just need to see it in us. Would you stand with me, church? perhaps one of the greatest stories of family and the redemption of family is really comes to us in the form of the entire gospel story because you know God created us to have relationship with us to be our father and yet sin broke us out of that sin broke that relationship with God but God sent his son Jesus Not just so that we could be forgiven, but so that we could be adopted back into his family. Taken back into what he originally created us for. To be called the sons and the daughters of God. And this morning, maybe you say, Pastor Ken, that's not me. I'm not there. I'm not part of this family. In fact, you know, maybe your family doesn't look the way that you want it at all. And you just, I I need that family. I need God. I need I need that perfect heavenly father that loves me. Well, This morning I want to give you a chance to do that. So with head bowed and eyes closed if that's you, you sit here and say, Pastor Ken, I need to ask Jesus into my life so that I can be a part of God's family. Right where you are, would you just slip your hand up and wave it at me? I'm not going to call you up. I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want to pray for you. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Jesus. Church, would you pray for with me? Say, Jesus, today, I ask you to come into my life, to forgive me of my sin, to make me whole and set me back in right relationship with God. I long to be his son or daughter. Make me anew. And I'll choose you today today and for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to invite our prayer team and our communion team to go ahead and come on up. As they do, if you just raised your hand and made a decision for Jesus, whether you're here or at home, in your your living room watching with us, we want to invite you to text the word Jesus to 21777. That's the word Jesus to 21777. And I ask you to do that because we want to walk on this journey with you. What you're beginning is a relationship with God. And we want to be there with you, for you. And so would you do that? We're going to give you and send you a free 21-day devotional for you to just begin that journey and figure out what that means and what it looks like. But would you text Jesus to 21777 for me? I also want to give opportunity because I know that there are some in the room where... You say, Pastor Ken, my family is broken. I have wounds in my past. Maybe you've been through a divorce and you're hurt. You're hurting. You need healing. There are all kinds of things that have gone on that in the lives of our room where we find ourselves in places that God didn't design for us to be and it hurts. But let me tell you, God wants to bring healing to that. God wants to bring restoration to that because he loves you. And maybe you'd like prayer for that or maybe for anything else, maybe a physical need or anything. And we've got folks that are right up here that are prepared and would love to pray for you. We also have folks on my right and left underneath the screens that would like to give you communion if you're interested in that. So in just a moment, we're going to sing a song together and we're going to give you opportunity to participate in either one of those. But Would you help me pray for our families right now? Father, thank you so much for the gift that you've given us of our family. Lord, we recognize that the spirit of this age is attacking the idea of family. It's very core and it's very nature, the the very nature of what you created and designed. And Lord, we, we ask that you would be with us and give us strength. Lord, help us to fight by being the best husband, the best wife, the best children we can be. Lord, help us to fight by fighting for our relationships, not with our relationships. Help us to value one another. Lord, help us to invest in our marriage, in our family, and in others. Help us to speak for marriage and to tell the story of what's happened for us. Lord, help us to create an environment that honors the gift of family that you gave us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you need special prayer, would you come? Pastor Jason, go ahead and lead us. Thank you for watching this message today. We ask that you hit the subscribe button and share this message on all social platforms. we are hoping that you were encouraged and blessed by what you heard. And we cannot wait to see you next time.